bringing a conversation with my next guest, who um, who is just one of my absolute favourite people. She is, of course, the queen of burlesque. She's also um, an yes. artist. Um, she's a very successful novelist. She is Immodesty Blaze. Please come up here, Immodesty. <laughs> Unbelievable! The megawatts of glamour. Do you want to get comfortable there? Is that is that good? Hi. Hi. <laughs> um, so I wanted to chat to you about your relationship with Soho because it's a place that's been really important in your life in different ways through the years. Um, and I wanted to start by asking you if you can remember the first time that you came here. Wow! The first time I came to Soho, <clears throat> I was looking for. Um, uh, I was looking for an art studio. I'd just finished my degree in advertising and um, I was about to start storyboarding for the main agencies for commercials and for that I needed a studio. And I found this amazing place on Berwick Street, uh, which I think is now a dentist um, <laughs> opposite Selectadisc. No, in fact that's changed as well, hasn't it? Anyway. <laughs> Um, it's all changed <laughs> yes. all the time. Um, back in those days, Soho was all um, editing suites, film production houses, film production companies, um, and you know it would all be runners um, running around with trolleys full of tapes on the way to Stanley Film Supplies, and you know we didn't have. It wasn't a destination where you go for shopping like you have vintage clothes shops now and Starbucks. Um, and really, it wasn't like that at all. It was an industry place for film industry and hookers, basically. And, um, you know, there were lots of red lights and doorways um, sort of nestled between film production houses and such like. So in order to pay for the deposits and set myself up in my art studio, I became a stripper. And so I always say that I fulfilled all the cliches in the book when I basically left my um, Catholic all-girls convent school to become a stripper. And so um, I worked for three months in a gentleman's club, stripping, and that's where I learnt the art of taking my clothes off. So sorry, when you, can I just, just back a step? Like, yes. you, know, you, you, you decide you want to be a stripper, I didn't wow. want to be. No, you decided You decided <laughs> that that was a way that you could make the money to, to, to get what you did want, which was your studio. That's right. right. So you knew what you wanted. You saw a way to get it. How do you join the dots in between? I mean, quite literally, how, what do you do? Do you, go, do you find a gentleman's club and you go and say, you have to audition? Or do you, or you find somebody who else who works there? How, how, how does that bit of it work? Uh, the Evening Standard. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh, yeah. They... <laughs> They have, uh, well, they used to. I don't know if they do now. I don't really look these days. Um, <laughs> they used to have adverts for things called uh, table dancing. And uh, my first, the first place I went to was the Stork Club, uh, which I think is now the Cuckoo Club. And I went in there, and um, the guy sized me up, asked me what dress size I was, said, what would you do if uh, a gentleman sort of had his hand on you and said, you know, do you do extras? I said, well to F off and he said I'm really sorry I don't think we've got any jobs for you here oh. and uh, I was like oh he said I, 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 yeah, I, um, yeah, yeah maybe you're a little bit big or something you know oh. okay so I got sent off down the road and I went to Chaplin's don't know if anyone remembers that 
Um, and uh, yeah, a few doors down, they said, oh no, you want to go to the one that has the female manager, she'll be really good for you. So anyway. Feminism, ladies yes. and gentlemen, feminism. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I rocked up and I was given the stage name Tiara. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Sowing a seed there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I learned to strip the hard way in front of an audience from my very first night. And um, quickly learned that I wasn't allowed to wear um, any lacy G-string because quite often the police would come and check that you couldn't see anything. They didn't have a nudity license so that we could only go down to bras and G-strings. Um, and if you wore a lace G-string, that was seen as you could see something. So, um, yeah, that was literally where I learned to strip. Unfortunately for me, it wasn't the most, uh, it wasn't very glamorous or theatrical or erotic or any of those things for me. And I just couldn't handle it. After about three months, I left. And I'd made the money I needed to make. Unfortunately, I wasn't a great pole dancer. I was quite clumsy. And I was used <laughs> to end up with bruises on my arms and all sorts. And I never used to really... I didn't make that much money and, you know, it wasn't... But you made what you needed to, I did. to get what you wanted. I did. And that's something that you learned about yourself. Which it was. You, you, could, you could do something you didn't necessarily want to do if it got you where you wanted exactly. to be. Exactly. Do you know, I, I wasn't really... I don't suppose it's every mother's dream that their daughter does that, but for me, I didn't really see anything morally wrong with it. Um, it wasn't really a problem for me. Um, I think I found it more disturbing um, seeing that some of the other girls weren't having amazing experiences and I found it really hard to deal with and I don't think I was very emotionally equipped at the age of 21 to deal with it myself and I, I, I had to leave. I couldn't, I couldn't bear it after a while. Was there a kind of sort of there but for the grace kind of you saw where they were in their lives? I mean you, it sounded to me like you were very um, kind of pragmatic about what you wanted to get out of it and you were getting in and out whereas they were perhaps in it for you know a longer amount of Well time. to be quite blunt about it I realised that 50% of the girls were actually on the game yeah. and I couldn't handle it yeah. and I found it I, I, I it, it was it was tough to see to see that so quite clearly in front of me and um, I, I just I wasn't emotionally equipped to deal with that so I left What's really interesting about what you're saying is that you know, something that I feel like I've read about Soho in the 50s and the 60s and the, there's, a, there's a kind of eternal quality almost to that kind of experience. I think we'll come back to that later with, with, with Clayton, but you got what you needed and you set up your studio. I did. And what was that like? Well, basically, um, I was working with several other artists and um, um, I did what I was always going to do, which was I was storyboarding for the agencies. Um, and really uh, fast forward to manage to work um, up the ranks so that I actually began working for a film production company um, producing and directing commercials and um, alongside that it had always been in the back of my head that this experience that I'd had when I first moved to London didn't it was still jarring and I think there's something about the the feel that you get from Soho and <coughs> as Radcliffe was saying this very kind of 24-hour mentality that you could leave work and the bookshops are still open and 
you know, you can go and flick through a book full of, you know, Betty Page images or of old burlesque performers, or there's and there's a sex shop underneath, and you know, you see a few Macs going downstairs, and you know, a few arty types upstairs, and at the time, the media hall's in their heavy suit jeans and, um, <laughs> and their little squared off horn rim glasses, and. Um, and giving it away, it was late 90s, yeah. And, um, <laughs> and um, really, uh, there was not a burlesque scene at the time, but what you did have were a lot of these dress-up clubs, and you'd have, you know, um, the San Moritz Club, and you'd have all these after-hours clubs, and Dick Bradsaw would be mixing cocktails somewhere, and you'd have... Um, <laughs> You, you, there, there was this incredible kind of community in Soho. And what would often happen is I'd get a brief from an advertising agency that would say, okay, this is for such and such soap powder. And, you know, we've changed the brief entirely. And actually, um, you're going to have to work all night because we need the storyboards by 9 a.m. to pitch to the client for tomorrow. And you'd end up working through the night. And then you would find that you, you would see all sorts of Soho life. You know, while you'd go out for your coffee break and have a quick bag outside, and there was all <laughs> sorts going on at three o'clock in the morning yeah. <laughs> outside my little studio opposite Selector Disc. And, uh, but, um, uh, yeah, so Did I. Did inspire had you with any of the campaigns just at Ventures <laughs> where there were like, quite a lot of prostitutes? <laughs> no. Was it quite dirty? What were, you, what were, no. you, what were the clients you were working with? Just um, uh, Grey Advertising, TBWA, <laughs> GGT, I think, changed. Whatever acronym they are now, um, MNC Sarch on Golden Square, really all the main people. agencies. Yeah. Um, and um, then when I was producing and directing, I ended up directing um, commercials for the Nobel Prizes uh, for um, uh, CNN, uh, which I actually won an award for. Can I say how fabulous and is that? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And at that point, when obviously I was doing re really well, I thought, hey, let's give it all up and, and do burlesque full time. <laughs> and that is literally what I did. Um, because all the while that I'd been, you know, working, uh, producing and, and directing, I've got this thing, um, an affliction, where I always have to create things. I have to draw, I have to paint, I have to write music, I have to make film, I have to do something, I have to make something. So even though I was um, um, doing, you know, TV commercials, what have you, I was still painting, I was still putting on exhibitions of my artwork, uh, making short film, um, which was easy for me to do because, um, you know, I, <laughs> I could just um, slip it in off the back of another commercial that I was cutting and say, hey, can you just <laughs> clock up another couple of hours to just edit this little thing that I've done? <laughs> so I'd get my films made for next to nothing, and I was able to do that. Um, and um, uh, part of that was the performance for me. And so and you, you know, to off I the performance by by the stripping, that it, w it was a totally different thing for you, or was it about reclaiming performance in any sense? I mean, wh how how did you differentiate? Who were you doing it to? That's the other thing as well. Because where <laughs> where were you doing burlesque then? Because it wasn't. I mean, you were one of the very 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 first. There was no scene at the time. The Whoopi Club came somewhere around two thousand and three. Um, I began sort of ninety eight ninety nine. Um, the kind of things that you'd have would be dress-up clubs, rockabilly clubs, punk clubs, uh, performance art nights, that kind of thing where people had some kind of cultural reference that they could place what you were doing um, because it was such a niche thing. And, you know, I remember doing a night when Harry Hill came up to me and said, that's 
like really amazing what you're doing is kind of French or what is it? It's a bit vintage. <laughs> it's, you know, and people had an awareness of what it was, but not really. And, you know, these are culturally aware people. Um, but it certainly wasn't stuff that you could be given stage time for because they'd immediately think, oh, God, you're going to take your clothes off. Absolutely no way. Right. So for a long time, um, you had to kind of say you that to. strip I had to say that oh no 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 there's no striptease in burlesque of course there was but you couldn't say that otherwise you'd never get any stage space so I think there was a little hangover from that where people say oh you're trying to disassociate yourself from striptease no I never was bloody hell I started as a stripper how could I disassociate myself from it but you couldn't say that to anyone otherwise mm. they wouldn't allow you on their stage thinking that you were going to do something that was, you know, I was going to charge, say, can you stick $10 in my G-string, please, you know. Um, so it was really a, a way that I could, um, you know, say, just give me a chance and look at what I'm doing. It's not quite what you're expecting. You know, when you say the word striptease, people had all these kind of preconceived ideas of, of what it was. What they were thinking of was not, oh, it's a theatrical production. They were thinking of it as it's an exchange of you know, there's a guy in a rain mac who's going to give you £10, mm. you know. Um, of course, burlesque striptease is stripping. Um, at what point was there a kind of, if you like, a sort of tipping or a stripping point, but a tipping point where, <laughs> where, where you went from, from, from one to the other where you thought, actually, I can make a go of this burlesque and I can, it's not just something I want to do, it's something that other people are interested in and it starts to become culturally insignificant. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. It was actually when um, <laughs> uh, I got a phone call from my pals at Ridley Scott Associates because all the uh, people who worked in the production companies all knew each other. And uh, they were cutting a pop promo for Goldfrapp. And um, <laughs> she's just a bit excitable and she's going to go if she gets any more excitable. Uh, they gave me a call and said, We. Uh, had a tip-off from one of our runners that uh, you can twirl nipple tassels. Like, yeah. <laughs> someone's, someone's figured out I've been moonlighting at this point. Um, up until that point, I'd been working in, you know, I'd do a, the, the night at Mountain Jojo's and my feet would stick to the carpet a night at the Atlantic Bar and my dressing room would be the coat check. I think once I was given the far escape as a, as a oh, changing glamour, room. the glamour. Yeah, dressing rooms I have known. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I, um, I went to the audition and I got the part. And they said, we have been searching for three months. We even went to Paul Raymond when he was still alive. <laughs> they went to Paul Raymond and he said, no, darling, it's defunct. No one does that anymore. There was some girl in Germany like a few years ago who used to do it. It's a dead art. No one does it anymore. And they said, and you were on our doorstep all the time. So um, I did the, the, the gold fat pop promo. And of course, the media started seeing someone in these sort of three foot high feathers and twirling yeah. nipple tassels on MTV. And um, it changed people's perceptions that actually burlesque was a vintage theatrical art form done yeah. in theatres for audiences who were men and women. And um, it really changed. I Doesn't don't think it... Like, you, I mean, how, you must feel pretty good about having <laughs> been at the very forefront of that because there have been lots of imitators since then, but actually you kind of resurrected and reinterpreted that art form. I mean, that's, you know... 
I did Ew. my own thing. I I certainly, you know, experimented with all sorts of, you know, I, I did things that I felt were more sort of Berlin a cabaret. I had a really experimental time and I, I did learn in front of audiences um, my art. Yeah, absolutely. It's the quickest and best way to learn. And, you know, having every kind of audience from a, you know, a, a club up to the West End and Vegas and beyond. But really, um, you know, it was invaluable to learn in front of that kind of audience. But um, yes, I, I think that from my perspective, when I, it's not about, you know, whether people imitate, people will always do that. People pick up on the trends, they pick up on zeitgeist, you know, and some people are kind of innocently lazy and think, oh, hey, you know, I'll, you know, I'll just do what she's doing without any regard of, for, you know, well, you need to kind of write your own thing. You need mm. to write your own song or your own book or your own, paint, your own painting. But, you know, it's not about that. It's more about the fact that I don't think anyone really appreciates what you had to do to even get it onto a stage when it, you were having to, you were having to essentially not be an ambassador for yourself, but an ambassador for the genre. And I still, to, a, to, to an extent, feel like that. Not so much these days. I don't have to be, but I, I think that the media has kind of reduced it to this very cartoon-like. Any girl who's wearing a corset that's pink and free and has a feather fan stuck up her back, going, "Ooh, that's burlesque," and it is to use Madonna's famous word, reductive. Yeah. And it's kind of writing off an entire genre that's very rich um and you know historical i think certainly britain's got talent has a lot to be, to take um <laughs> responsibility for um women from wigan who appear to have like crashed into a bard and stuffed it into some kind of work it's very upsetting um i wanted to ask you just before i ask for questions from the audience do you think that turning up in soho now that it's still a place with those possibilities do you think you could still find you know if, if you were new and you, you know this, this is the world that you just landed in would it be as open, do you think, or has wow. it changed? I think Soho, I think Soho has evolved. Everywhere evolves, um, and everything evolves, and the genre of burlesque has evolved. And you know, the, the kind of um, environment, the social environment that we had in the 50s and 60s, we can never recapture that again. So it really, you know, when people perform classic burlesque yes they can recapture the look of a day gone by and maybe even some of the issues of a day gone by but we'll never be able to recapture the um actual social climate mm. um you know people don't have the same attitudes towards live entertainment that they do we want shorter punchier spectacles we have so much other entertainment vying for our attention um you know we we need even the way we perform you know features used to do 20 30 minutes at a time and now really you need to cut your act off at seven minutes uh, because people have really short attention spans and you know in the years that have gone by i've kind of you know i took it to the west end um took it you know ended up in vegas via the royal opera house um and would have to kind of pinch myself to say wow you know back in those days in 97 98 I couldn't have dreamed that yeah. I could have performed somewhere like the Royal Opera House. It would have been absolutely just a no-go zone to do any kind of legitimate theatre uh, with burlesque back in those days. And even when I did um, 
Dancing with the Stars initially, they said, oh God, this time last year, there's absolutely no way it would have been a dirty word to say, let's put burlesque on, on a mainstream TV well, in programme. Italy. In Italy. Yeah. <laughs> bunga, bunga. Bunga, 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 exactly. <laughs> Fuck me. Okay, so well, I'll, take, I'll take two questions for people who haven't asked questions before. Anna, go ahead. Yes, how did you learn to twirl your nipple tassels? We're assuming in the same direction at the same time. And it's one way easier than the other, clockwise or anticlockwise. It is. If you, I always thought if you were left-handed, it might be easier to go the other way. Oh, I'm speculating. I, it's not really something they teach you in careers at school, so I literally had to learn in front of a mirror. Um, and um, I, I, I guess you, everyone, every woman has slightly different aerodynamics. Um, but, um, <laughs> Certainly the most easy way is to go outwards simultaneously um, and then um, to go in the same direction is actually slightly harder. But you can make one go and the other one to stay still. If you keep yourself steady with one hand, you do a bit of a whisk movement with the other hand. And then you'll just get one of them going. I'd just like to say that I, I know that. Well done. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> Anna, Anna works for Penguin Classics, and I'm sure they're going to love that tomorrow <laughs> in the office. It's going to be a real treat. One more question. Yes, Phoebe. Um, it's really interesting to hear you work such as uh, Vincent and stuff like back in the day. I I, get, I, I think the question kind of broadly is, is do, you know, are you happy with how you got to where you are now and are you happy where you are, I think? I'm very happy. I, um, it wasn't a, a route that I thought I would take. Um, I was very academic, um, so I think my mum probably had something far more conventional mapped out for me. Um, but, you know, essentially I've had two novels published. I've uh, produced and directed a documentary that's gone to 30 different countries. Which you premiered I, in Soho. I did. I did back premiere. Back full circle. I did. I brought it back full circle. And in fact, Peter Blake came to my premiere with drawings that he did when he used to sneak into Raymond Review Bar because, of course, he wrote his thesis on burlesque. And he presented me with these drawings that he'd done in 1954 of nude girls on stage and that was his gift to me and I brought it back to where it had all started but you know to be able to sit there and perform in some of the most historical theatres in the world and I consider myself very privileged and I think I what I did was I I took risks um, I didn't want to play safe when I became successful at something I wanted to move on and try something else and I always took risks and in a lot of ways I feel like I was rewarded um, for the calculated risks that I took, um, but I've never wanted to live life quietly. I always wanted to live the length and the breadth of it. And so I certainly feel that when people, for example, um, they uh, can take the moral high ground with, um, uh, for example, strippers or, you know, things like that, and quite frankly, I see far more people, um, in my opinion, prostituting themselves in jobs that they don't want to do. Um, and f for me, I, 
I, I don't see any grounds for people who take the moral high ground for doing anything that's in the sort of realms of, of stripping because, frankly, there are so many people out there who uh, work in shit jobs that they don't enjoy as a wage slave so that they can pay for the hobby that they really enjoy. And I think, well, where do you draw the moral guideline between that and somebody who's dancing in a G-string? Really, come on. <laughs> in Modest Advice, thank you for being on our moral patch. <laughs>